everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the SPRG chat room. We hope to use this platform to exchange ideas on hot and trending topics. My name is Pauline Yong. I'm the general manager of Strategic Digital Lab, SPRG's digital marketing agency located in Singapore. And I'm the host for today's session. I have with me here my colleague, Arthur Hagopian, Senior Director, Global Strategy and Digital from SPRG Beijing. And Arthur is well positioned in helping overseas enterprises enter the China market. Hello, Pauline. Nice to have you here. Great to be here. Good. And uh, super happy uh, and honored to be the first guest of the series. Thanks. Glad to have you here too. Well, the biggest shopping day in the world just happened on 11 November. Arthur, can you tell us more about the genesis of this Singles Day sale and how it has evolved to become such an important event for e-commerce businesses around the world? For sure. So yeah, the overall concept of Singles Day came from, uh, interestingly enough, students at Nanjing University in China back in 1993. And uh, it's celebrated on 11-11, of course, because the ones in the date represent singles, of course. And it kind of turned into this anti-Valentine's Day concept for single people. So rather than, say, buying something for your partner or significant other, uh, you would treat yourself and spoil spoil yourself uh, and buy something for yourself. And so the first commercialization of this unofficial holiday and shopping festival was in 2009 by Alibaba, of course, on their emerging uh, Tmall platform, uh, who created Singles Day into this shopping festival. Wow, I see. So what did it, how did it look like back then? Back then, it was very different. We had 27 brands participating with a sales volume of around 52 million RMB, so around 8 million USD. And we can see, of course, it's definitely grown since then. And that's an understatement because they've been breaking their own records year after year since then. Well, it's amazing how such a simple idea of self-love evolved into something so big. Um, can you share with us some insights to this year's 2020 11 sales event? Yeah, absolutely, Pauline. This year was an absolute triumph, particularly within the backdrop of COVID, of course, and it was truly symbolic as well, economically for China, being able to project to itself and the rest of the world, the strength and direction of the economy after such a difficult year. And of course, that incredible consumer demand. So this year for the festival, though, things were a little bit different. Uh, there was a little bit of a warm up period from November 1st uh, to the 3rd, uh, and running up to November 11th as well well. And this was kind of a, a warm-up period where people were able to participate in smaller uh, shopping engagements and, and things like that as well. They were able to make deposits on larger purchases that they planned on purchasing on November the 11th. But of course, the majority of the festival happened during that 24-hour period. And as we've come to expect, records were broken during this time. Now, uh, before I'd mentioned how the shopping festival started, we had 27 brands, 8 million USD in sales. This year saw over two 250,000 brands, 5 million online retailers, 800 million participants with sales of around 500 billion RMB, and that's close to 75 billion USD. And at its peak, Pauline, 583,000 orders were processed each second. And 
Now, this is only sales volume from Alibaba's Tmall platform. If we combine figures with JD.com, of course, uh, who are Tmall's main rival, sales exceeded 115 billion US dollars, largely within, again, that 24-hour period. And for some perspective, you know, Pauline, I know you're in Singapore. So within the first 30 minutes of the sale on the 11th, Alibaba recorded a GMV, which is gross merchandise volume, of around 56.2 billion USD, which is roughly the equivalent of Singapore's GMV. GDP in all of 2019. Wow, the numbers are really impressive. So what about the other platforms? How are they doing? Yeah, so when we look at uh, total sales volume, the number, of course, is actually higher because there's so many more platforms that are participating in the festival now compared to previous years. So, for example, Suning uh, on their own platform, of course, uh, they're famous for their electronics and food products. Uh, Douyin, uh, outside of China, you would know this, of course, as TikTok. And Kuaishou, uh, primarily targeting second, third, and fourth tier cities. Uh, the last two, the Douyin and Kuaishou, are especially active in live selling. And live selling has become active absolutely huge in China over the last 24 months, and analysts are predicting it to grow to over a trillion dollar industry. And this year's festival had over 700 live streaming events, bringing in billions. And so if we look a little bit closer at live streaming, Weiya, famous live streamer, had 82 million people visit her festival stream with a sales volume of 1.1 billion RMB. And Li Jiaqi, also known as Lipstick Brother, had 62 million people visit with around 696 million in sales. So live streaming uh, had an incredible impact this year. Well, you know, live streaming has actually also picked up a lot, especially this during this COVID-19 period. And I know that this year is unique. With COVID-19, that has brought more shoppers online. Can you tell us more about how COVID-19 has affected the purchasing behavior in China? Yeah, so as we know, the e-commerce industry and landscape in China is highly developed and Chinese consumers are prolific online shoppers. And this year's e-commerce sales uh, for the first six months is up around 7. 5% from last year to around 5.15 trillion RMB. And, uh, you know, some of this can certainly be attributable to COVID as the first half of the year was when we saw the majority of closures of offline retail locations. And uh, this is also when we saw fluctuations in availability in some household products. So many consumers decided to stock up and stockpile on these necessities. And around 33% of consumers decided to buy more uh, health-related products, understandably, uh, as well including, say, things like medicine and masks, etc. And overall, we saw an influx of around 31% of more online shopping in general due to, of course, necessity and, of course, the highly developed nature of the logistics capabilities of the e-commerce platforms in China. And we saw some interesting things happening as well in the cosmetics area. For example, you know, women being, of course, the largest purchasers of cosmetics were purchasing much less lipstick because of the mandate on wearing masks, of course. Nobody was going to be able to see the mouth area in general, uh, but these consumers then started taking a much more uh, proactive approach in skincare products in general, and so we saw an increase of overall skincare products uh, being sold uh, through e-commerce channels, so something interesting there. So is any group spending lesser? So yeah, it was very interesting, actually. There were different approaches and different attitudes among consumer groups during this period where some people felt the need to potentially limit their spending due to the sort of economic uncertainty that COVID brought on, where others went in the opposite direction and maybe took a little bit more of a philosophical approach during the crisis, deciding to splurge on luxury items that they've always wanted that other 
uh, under other circumstances quite possibly wouldn't have purchased you know so again it was due to that uncertainty that they decided to uh, uh, take the plunge and make a huge purchase for themselves well that's what we call revenge shopping right isn't it so which brands are the biggest winners this year so just to give some rough figures, uh, 342 brands exceeded 100 million RMB in the GMV, of course, which is the gross merchandise volume, and 13 brands exceeded 1 billion RMB. So those are significant milestones, certainly, for those brands. The top five categories that we saw were household electrical appliances, the 3C products, of course, which are consumer electronics, clothing, skincare and cosmetics, and finally, shoes and bags, and uh, rounding out uh, eight and nine we have food products and mother and baby products respectively so some of the top brands that we saw during the festival include apple l'oreal hire estee lauder nike huawei medea lancome xiaomi and adidas those were some of the brands that exceeded the 100 million rmb mark so would you say that foreign brands were more popular among the chinese this year Foreign brands are certainly extremely popular uh, for Chinese online consumers, but it's really important to note that this year during the Singles Day Shopping Festival, Chinese brands actually dominated with over 66% of sales on Tmall. So really, really interesting Chinese brands dominating this year. So Arthur, we know that China being the largest market in the world for e-commerce with sales surpassing the combined total of Europe and the US. Some international brands are leveraging on cross-border e-commerce platforms to access the Chinese market. Can you tell us more about this and which countries are currently dominating? Yes, certainly. So when talking about cross-border e-commerce, we're primarily discussing Tmall Global. And in short, Tmall Global is a platform of Tmall where international merchants sell imported products through cross-border e-commerce. And of course, there are other platforms doing this, including, say, Xiaohongshu and Kaola. But Tmall has the largest share of CBEC. So in general, the dominant regions participating in cross-border e-commerce in China are the United States, of course, Japan and Korea, as there's a huge appetite specifically for their skincare and cosmetics products, as well as France is a dominant player for those same categories. Also emerging is Italy for a number of their fashion and luxury brands. And in certain categories, uh, for example, uh, baby food and formula, Australia and New Zealand are top cross-border performers. So Arthur, last question for you. Can you give us some advice on how international brands can plan to get involved for next year's 11.11 event? Absolutely, Pauline. And so for international brands looking to tap into this incredible 800 million online consumer market in China, and, and again, hopefully participate in next year's Singles Day. And Pauline, I should say, even though Singles Day is the biggest uh, shopping festival of the year in China, it's definitely not the only shopping festival that's happening in the calendar in this region. And there's more than 15, actually. And uh, we have shopping festivals for Valentine's Day, uh, Girls' Day and Women's Day that happens in March. There's Men's Festival. Of course, there's Mother's Day. There's the I Love You Day that happens in May. Children's Day, JD's uh, 618 Festival. That's for the JD's platform. That happens in June. We have the 818 Fever Shopping Festival in August. And of course, we know Double uh, Eleven uh, Singles Day. We have uh, Red Friday. Uh, of course, uh, you know, that's a, that's a response to uh, Black Friday in, in the United States. And we have the Double Twelve Shopping Festival that's coming up in December. And of course, we have uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas as well. 
So there are shopping festivals uh, in China for Christmas that I don't think a lot of people uh, uh, may know about. Wow, there's a lot of shopping opportunities out there. Yeah, so for brands looking to jump into uh, e-commerce in China, it's really important to gain some market insight concerning your product, its category, and the wants and needs of Chinese consumers. And so for Tmall, now we're talking about Tmall Classic, not uh, Tmall Global. Merchants are required to have a local Chinese entity and register their products with local authorities. And these merchants tend to be larger Chinese brands and top global brands uh, that already have a footprint in China. For example. H&M, Estee Lauder, and Nike. Now, Tmall Global, on the other hand, the sellers are companies with entities outside of China that sell imported products. So it's important to not only anticipate where you are now or where you want to be in one year, but potentially five years down the road. So brands also have to consider logistics as well as domestic Tmall products are generally warehoused within China at Alibaba's warehouses, which makes shipping much faster and much more efficient. And Tmall Global products are often stored in warehouses in Chinese free trade zones, and the products only clear customs after an order is made. Uh, another thing that you should consider is. Uh, other service elements, including, say, returns, which tend to be much more difficult for Tmall Global customers. Hmm. Interesting. So are there any brands on both platforms? Yeah, absolutely, Pauline. Uh, some brands do, in fact, choose to be on both platforms uh, using the Tmall Classic platform for their more proven and popular products that have already been registered in China. And then they use the Tmall Global platform for, say, their new products to assess the popular demand and then switch over. It's also really important to note that Tmall Global has moved towards an invitation-only model, which means that for international brands that are looking to participate on the platform, Platform, the global prep platform, they are going to have to receive an invitation from Tmall. And uh, this is why it's extremely important for those brands, specifically in the case of Tmall Global, to use a registered TP, which is a trading partner who can help guide the brand through the market and the process, um, etc. And uh, in Beijing here, we work very, very closely with the top uh, TPs in China in order to facilitate that. Also, Pauline, it's really important to mention that the opening and operating of a brand's uh, Tmall store, whether it's on the domestic platform or the global platform, is only really the beginning and just the first step. And successful brands that uh, that operate on the platforms always have a robust integrated marketing and advertising program to ensure their products specifically are breaking through the noise. Well, these are really great insights, Arthur, and we hear you. If any of the international brands out there are eyeing the China market, it really makes sense to understand the whole ecosystem. So thank you so much, Arthur, for sharing this in-market knowledge with us. Thanks a lot, Pauline. It's a great pleasure. You know, the uh, Chinese e-commerce landscape is ever-evolving and ever-growing. So uh, very, very exciting. We have come to the end of our podcast today. Do stay tuned for our next podcast. And for some of you listeners who are interested to know more about e-commerce marketing in China or Asia, do write to us at inquiry at sprg.asia. Thank you and goodbye.